We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Esports Viz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week, we will be discussing esports professionals. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as everything is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Derek Watford. Derek is the co-founder of High Point Gamer. High Point Gamer is an esports consultation and event production company based in Central Florida. They provide esports business consultation and brand management services including brand development, original content creation, and live event and tournament production. Derek also hosts a highly successful esports industry podcast, Gamers Wanted. Derek, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Justin. My pleasure. I know that we're, you know, dealing with some exciting stuff, so I was glad we were still able to do this. And they say uh, going digital with digital content and media and connecting uh, what, what is it? Social distancing. I think we're practicing that very well. Yes, exactly. I'm up here in New York. You're down there in Florida. We're socializing as far of a distance as we can. So to briefly introduce the topic, we're now exploring esports professionals. So similar to other talent-driven industries, such as you know, music, television, sports, professionals, other entrepreneurs have begun specifically servicing the esports and gaming space. This includes attorneys, talent agents, accountants, financial advisors, you know, marketing and brand consultants, and public relations experts. Some of these are former pro gamers or announcers. Some are just lifelong gamers who you know, saw a niche for themselves. 
Others are established professionals from other related entertainment and sports areas who have, you know, made the transition and moved over. So what do they really do? You know, they assist the gamer or the gaming brand with their business. So this could be the contract and legal stuff, taxes, as far as, you know, personal brand building and maintenance, helping build a marketable image and reach out to different brands to partner with. Also, some of them help with social media and different, you know, media training. In addition, eSports has these live events. And these events are both at large areas like arenas and stadiums. And they're also grassroots type ones, smaller ones held at local gaming facilities and regular venues and even clubs with gaming consoles. These could be in the form of an established tournament or other competitive league or just a free-for-all where you play at will. So now we know a bit more about what's going on in esports professionals. Derek, tell us a bit about your previous esports experience. Oh, well, I started out in the esports world, so to speak, as we started producing tournaments in our area. We were doing uh, 2K tournaments and Madden tournaments uh, as a way to give teenagers um, something else to do. Because um, I know there isn't much to do when you're a teenager. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. So when we were producing the tournaments, we started having people come from Maine, California, uh, to enter the tournament. And we quickly realized that, okay, this is a thing. And the more research that I did, um, I realized that it was actually an industry. Um, I've always been a gamer, a competitive gamer, uh, com- competed in SOCOM, a uh, little Overwatch, uh, uh, Call of Duty back in the day. Uh, but for some reason, I never thought about it as, even though I'm sitting in a server with uh, 50 other people, I never thought about how massive uh, the competitive world of gaming was because I really believed in the gaming was a waste of time script. <laughs> and and so once we started realizing how big esports was or the possibilities for esports, um, we just started trying to make the tournaments a little more official or official rules. I had Tim O'Leary come through uh, to a tournament. Um, he won first place in our Madden tournament, uh, and we started developing a relationship from there. And then he ended up having interest in getting into the NBA's 2K League. Um, I kind of provided some type of advice for that, trying to support him throughout the process. And helping him through the process is where I got uh, introduced to the actual professional world of esports that relates to the NBA. Uh, when I attended the draft, and that's where I met you at, was at the draft in New York. And I realized that uh, a lot of these kids, quote-unquote, I say kids, but um, let's say gamers, uh, they're getting this opportunity to be a part of the esports world because of their gaming skills. Uh, and because a lot of them are coming from backgrounds that aren't necessarily uh, supportive of gaming at the time, uh, I knew that they weren't going to get the support that would allow them to be successful and create longevity out of the opportunity that video games have given them. So um, I decided to take the consulting route more so than a tournament producing route uh, because I really saw that these kids were, I mean, a lot of them were gaming just to stay out of trouble, you know, uh, from Mm -hmm. hanging on the block with their friends and and to get drafted into the NBA and not have any type of support only to end up back on the block or wherever they came from. Um, I know that was definitely a disservice to them. So I wanted to help minimize that. So how did you get into the business side of the esports? Well, I got into the business side of the esports uh, again from producing the tournaments. 
Um, and then from there, we branched off and started doing consulting. And really, the esports world is really based on relationships. Um, and because I was so new in it, building the relationships wasn't difficult because there wasn't much interest in esports initially um, when I was out there starting. Um, and then from those relationships, you know, one person connects you to someone else, someone else connects you to someone else. And next thing you know, you have a network of people that are saying, hey, no, my marketing team is interested in esports, but no one on our staff knows what to do with it. Or, hey, uh, our college wants to implement an esports program, but no one on our staff knows um, which the right way we should go or handle it or, or what options do we have available actually in esports and how do we be successful. And then also from the gamer side of, um, I'm a pro gamer, but what do I need? Do I need an agent as like a traditional sports person? Do I need a brand person? Do I need a content creation person? Do I need legal advice? Like how, how big or how much support do I need in order to be successful in the space? So what's High Point Gamer? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're working on now. So uh, right now we're working on, uh, we're doing our yearly scholarship gaming tournament. We just did one in January. Uh, where we gave away $1,000 to a high school student who won first place in Brawlhalla. Uh, we like to focus on the ind indie games because we believe that esports um, is economic empowerment, social inclusion, diversity. And we know that those big titles, you know, you got to go through a lot of legal and stuff to really use those games, um, especially when you're promoting it on a large scale. Um, and so we decided let's do indie game route instead because one, uh, that's tangible to the audience that we're talking to. Like, hey, you can also produce your own games, create your own games, but then opens up another source of income for you as well, as well as compete on the games, test the games, review the games, create content for the games. Um, so right now, our scholarship gamer tournament is our big focus. We're still driving or helping others that want to be in the space and be successful in the space um, from a consulting standpoint. Nice. So what are some recent projects that you guys have done? I know you mentioned the scholarship tournament, but what else have you worked on? Uh, so we had also a veterans appreciation. I'm a, I'm a military veteran. So we had a veterans appreciation tournament where uh, one week promote mental health. Uh, we also do the same thing for veterans of uh, exposing them to the opportunities that are available within the esports and gaming space because many play video games, but they haven't thought about it from a career business standpoint. Um, so our service member appreciation tournament uh, was real successful. We had help from MVG, that's Military Veteran Gaming uh, Organization. They came down with their squad of people and supported. That was um, Marines, Air Force, Navy guys, Army guys, uh, et cetera. And they just were sharing how uh, because of their PTSD, because of their depression, because of their um, disconnect after getting out of the service that video games is their way to still stay connected to their uh, brothers in arms and, and, and it helped them with their mental health. Were there any specific games that they like to play for, you know, for the tournaments or was it kind of? Uh, yeah. So in the tournament that we had, it was a brawl hall tournament as well. Um, and then we did a little bit of call of duty as well. Okay, cool. So there was some kind of first person shooter in there. Yes. Yes. Uh, what I've learned about first-person shooters, so you have the audience of, uh, from a veteran standpoint, it's like, yay, this is what we do. Uh, we enjoy first-person shooters. And then you have that audience that um, stays away from first-person shooters because it does trigger their PTSD. Um, so that, that's always a, um, 
a dance to be aware of when we're producing tournaments with veterans. Like, are are we okay with the first-person shooters? Are we not with the first-person shooters? Yeah, that's the thing I kind of like about, you know, 2K and Madden, some of these, you know, non-shoot-em-up games. It's a little bit less, you know, like that. You don't have to worry as much about who is, you know, doesn't want to be exposed to certain elements. And you can just play sports. Do you think that's the responsibility of the event producer or is it the responsibility of the attendee to know what triggers them? I mean, I think the attendee should know, but if you're, you know, creating a veterans event, mm-hmm. you know, you might, like you said, there's organizations that specialize in this. Maybe you consult with them or, you know, like you said, maybe some people enjoy it and like use it as their outlet and some people it doesn't work for them. And, you know, I think that it kind of cuts both ways that you as an individual have responsibility for yourself and to not put yourself in a situation that you might not feel comfortable in. Right. You know, but then again, as a host, maybe just because of the potential that, you know, someone might not realize it might have an effect on them. And if it's competition and they're against other friends, it might add other stress factors, you know, maybe a game that isn't so realistic where you're, you know, going around the corners and someone's going to snipe you and stuff might work a little bit better for the market that you're working with. Right. So what are some typical difficulties encountered when you plan an esports event? You know? <laughs> oh man, the, the, one of the main difficulties that I deal with is those that are interested in esports but aren't familiar with esports think that it's a lot easier to produce an event than what it is. They're just like, oh, you know, I want to do this tournament. And I want a whole bunch of people to come and a whole bunch of people to sign up. And I want to charge all these spectators to attend. Um, And they haven't even thought about the process of a tournament. Like, okay, well, what game you want to do? Uh, How many uh, consoles do you want to set up? How long do you plan the event to run? Oh, just a couple of hours. Well, that that knocks out some of your games right there. If you're thinking you want to have 100 people enter a tournament, but you want to be gone in two hours, that's not happening (laughs) unless unless you have a massive... uh, equipment um, facilities to support that. Uh, so a lot of the challenges educating them on like scale it back. Like, what do you really want to do? What is your goal here? Are you trying to, to do this esports activation because you want to make money? Is it for brand recognition? Is it community engagement? Uh, and then we backtrack from there on like, okay, so because you're trying to do community engagement, bring more awareness, um, get people to socially interact, why don't you do this tournament? Why don't you do this game? Why don't we set it for this amount of hours? Uh, this will be the, the cost to enter. Or maybe you shouldn't have a cost to enter because uh, you don't really have a known platform. Uh, so to charge people to pay $50 to be in your tournament uh, really wouldn't make sense because the gaming community really is a community that they just don't jump on anything just because it has video games attached to it. You know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that definitely is a good point that you have to really know your audience and understand what you're trying to get out of it. Like, you know, especially some of these games take a half hour, 40 minutes. You want to have a multiple round tournament where you have, you know, semis and finals and all these things. You have to factor in that it's about an hour a game. Plus, then you got to swap out people and have to give them some kind of intermission. You can't just have people playing five hours in a row. So, (laughs) you know, you have to get these logistical things that you might not think about if you're not familiar with how an event runs. Right. From uh, uh, charging the controller, or do you have backup controller? Someone's crying that they don't like the controller they're given. 
how are you doing headsets uh, lagging oh my, right. my headset died and right. lagged all these other things there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a bracket-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary and what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And now, let's get back to the next topic. So what are some typical pitfalls that a rookie you know, tournament producer should look out for? Something that you kind of learn like, oh, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again. So some, some rookie pitfalls that uh, new people to the industry should look out for when they're producing the esports industry is one, their time, how... How long do they plan their event to have? And is their event time based on uh, a set restriction by whoever owns the facility or venue? What type of game are you playing? And also, do you have a streamlined way of getting people registered and set up within the bracket and then a way to monitor that bracket and make sure everyone is playing? I think um, people are just like, oh, okay, I have a, 25 people or 50 people show up and I have them playing a tournament and they don't even have someone at the registration desk or they think that the registration is cut and dry. Like, well, who's logging the winners? Are you maintaining the score for the winners and keeping track of that to send back out to um, tournament participants after the fact so they can say, yeah, I beat um, Mighty Gunner by five points or, uh, you know, I came in second place at least. Um, that's really a lot of the pitfalls for newbies is like you need staff to support it. You can't just come in there by yourself or with one other person and think you're going to run a smooth, successful tournament. Because uh, gamers talk, they, they complain, they whine, especially <laughs> once losing gets involved. Right, losing for money, everyone like yeah. sits up in their seat, like you know right. that where it's like, oh, down by twenty, like you sit up and you kind of <laughs> get you get ready to play. Right, right. Awesome. So uh, I know that you guys work a lot with gaming influencers and kind of on the consulting side. So do you kind of find it difficult explaining to different brands, especially non-endemic ones, the benefits of you know gaming and you know esports in general? Yes. And then the ones that get it, I still see the challenge in them uh, rewarding or paying the brand influencers that they have uh, working for them. Like everyone just wants to get a free product or they want to give an affiliate code. Um, and I'm one of those people that's I'm against affiliate codes for gamers. Um, like even though there's a lot of gamers that are excited about that, they're like, Oh, you know what? I, they sent me a free headset and I got a code telling people to use this 10% off code on my stream. And, and really, that's not really any uptick for the brand that doesn't create anything authentic. Uh, it relates to the actual streamer. Uh, so I like to talk brands into doing authentic activations, not these cookie cutter things that they see going on within the industry and just applying it. Like, OK, you're picking this streamer, you're picking this influencer uh, for a reason. Let's support that reason to one, uh, help the influencer build his brand as well as helping you build the brand. Don't just look at the influencer as a mule for your brand. It has to be a um, cooperative approach to it. That's my belief for 
and some brands get it and some brands know and and they'll go off and they'll find someone that fits within what they think influencer marketing should be or or how it should be executed yeah i mean i think to your point you know there's always people at different levels i think you know if you're just kind of getting into it and you're just starting an affiliate code is a great way to kind of see what you can do see what if you can actually activate your fan base to buy a product that you use or be like hey you know i've been using this great headset like it's so much lighter i never drop and maybe you have 10 fans and they buy it and you know now you can go to your next brand like hey you know i've been an affiliate for six months and this is how many sales i was doing a month and you know let's get in deeper but i think that there's kind of two sides to you know a lot of these situations where you can use it as almost like a proving point where like, look, I can sell a hundred of these items. Imagine if we do a more elaborate activation where I'm actually using it more on product and I'm helping giving you feedback and we're creating a cool meme of me doing something with it. And it gives you an opportunity to kind of grow with the brand. And, you know, I think that some brands have kind of like that. They kind of want to dip their toe in the pool before they jump right in. I agree there's there's stepping stones to that, but I think there's some influencers that are salesman influencers, and then there's some influencers that are um, brand recognition and engagement influencers. Um, some are able to get activations or get people to react to a, an affiliate code and do that, and some um, aren't able to do that. Does that mean they're less vital as a brand influencer i guess if you're if you're the sales director for a company and, and that's what you're concerned with is sales roi then yes but if you're from a brand and engagement um then that doesn't always translate in my opinion yeah i mean i definitely agree with that as well i think that it all really comes down to what the brand is trying to do if you're just trying to get numbers and move sales and volume or if you're trying to create like an authentic engagement and tap into something that's unique about the influencer, you know, their backstory or, you know, just whatever they're doing that gravitates and makes people come to them. I think that you do have to kind of evaluate that. And, you know, each individual is different. And, you know, when you're looking at these and you're talking to these different brands, you need to, you know, have your expectations and understand that, if you want something that's more immersive and, you know, a much deeper connection, like you're mentioning, you may have to pony up in order for it to be worth certain people's while, as they say. Right. So. Uh, I definitely think brands that are into helping the influencer grow and, and recognize those are the ones that are successful. Not the brands that just hop from influencer to influencer. Like, oh, yes, uh, a million followers. Oh, let me... Uh, contact him. Oh, he has four million. Let me contact him. Um, I don't believe that works, or is that as successful as brands think? Yeah, I mean that's a very good point. Um, so yeah, so kind of continuing a little forward. I know you're involved in the Tampa Association of Gaming. So kind of tell us a little bit more about that. What have you guys been working on? So Tampa Association of Gaming uh, Tag is a nonprofit organization that we started in this area to bring all of those within the gaming industry or those that are interested in creating an ecosystem for those within the gaming industry to come together under a nonprofit umbrella. Um, so a lot of the things that we do is, uh, say, connect with uh, University of South Florida. We connected with uh, University of Tampa. 
um, and then the other brands that are in the Central Florida area or in Tampa and give them a way to connect with other people that are within the industry um, because we firmly believe that in order to be successful or create an esports ecosystem or even a gaming ecosystem, um, it is community-based. And the only way we're going to be successful is if we work together as a community of pulling our resources, our talents, our skills, um, and some of our initiatives together in order to make Central Florida, a.k.a. Tampa, um, like top 10 within the ratings for gaming. Awesome. So what kind of other things have you worked on? Is it like a lot of networking kind of things or, you know, local uh, uh, we did a uh, partnership with uh, Microsoft, an Ironman tournament where it was kind of like the triathlon of esports. Uh, you had to play uh, fighting game, shooting game, racing game, uh, puzzle game, and it, you got points based on uh, each time you won or within that to be like the Ironman. Uh, champion winner that's cool game. yeah definitely definitely enjoyed that i think more people were surprised to see the younger uh, gamers were coming through uh, kicking everybody's butt hey man they're just faster <laughs> and... <laughs> i'm a dinosaur so i don't like to no i'm not gonna let some little kid beat me on the game but they're definitely like you said, faster and, and, and quick with responses. Yeah, exactly. Like when I'm playing 2K, it takes me, oh, I got to find X. Hold on. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> so what do you think the future of, you know, esports consultation and, you know, some of the stuff that you guys are working on? So the, the future is we still have a large audience that needs to get bandwagon for respecting esports. And then also recognizing the opportunity that esports provides, and then also understanding that esports isn't about video games uh, when it comes down to being able to participate from a support standpoint, a business standpoint, uh, et cetera. Um, so you're going to see organizations say, hey, I've been hearing about this. My marketing department still knows nothing about it. Um, can you come talk to them just to get them up to speed on it? on what they can look at to learn more about it, what can they do, uh, what type of activations make sense for us. Uh, and then I definitely see the evolution of uh, virtual reality and augmented reality entering the esports space. Yeah, and man, that, that creates a whole different um, world of standards. Right, especially in the event production space. You know, I right. talked to some people that have been talking about like, you know, like movement and, you know, bomb blows off the whole place, shakes or like, you know, kill and you just it reds out with blood. So it's like, you know, really adding that extra sensory element to the production, you know, seems like it's going to be part of how these presentations evolve. Which then also creates the burden for grassroots operations to be able to sustain within the space because uh, a grassroots organization can't put on the high production value um, that you say ESL or someone can do because they have longer pockets, you know, uh, but yet they're just as valuable to growing um, uh, the pipeline or, or ecosystem for esports. And I definitely see that as something that's overlooked right now because everyone is excited about esports. So they're excited about what events can bring a lot of people out? And, and now with um, the way it is right now, everyone 
figure out, well, how can we replicate that digitally hmm. um, since we're in quarantine? Um, and the best way to do that is if you're growing your grassroots organizations in each market, like you, you have to treat those uh, organizations that aren't doing massive sellout of tickets or, or massive attendees, but still provide them support to feed into these larger events. And I definitely don't see that being done right now. And I, and I think that's going to change. Yeah. You know, I think that your point being, you know, the grassroots is where most of the people that have been in this started, like right. most professional gamers at this level, unless you're pretty young played at some of these MLG and just random gaming tournaments in Atlantic city or just in their local area where individuals like you and others put on these gaming tournaments, not as much as for, you know, big sponsors and large broadcasting and streaming deals right. because they wanted to bring people that liked a certain game together to play it. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, essential to what makes esports and the gaming scene great. You know, I think that that's what really gives it the staying power that all of these brands and all these big professionals are betting on. It's like, this has existed in a much smaller state for, you know, decades already. Now yes. this mega entertainment sports conglomerates are taking it over, moving it to the Barclays, Madison Square Garden, and the Staples Center. But you needed this grassroots, these smaller, you know, events in order for someone to even substantiate that it makes sense to do something bigger. You know, if you can't get 50 people in a room, how are you going to get 50,000 people? Or, you know... It, it's just really kind of continually proves the concept and, you know, as you said, reinforces the next generation of gamers. The, you know, the 13-year-old that goes with his parents because he loves Madden and, you know, gets to play against some of the older kids. But, like, that experience of going and playing live and signing up and just, you know, the winning, the losing, the whole trip that comes with it is you know, usually something most kids aren't going to forget. And I think that it's important for that to even exist. Esports is definitely seems like the, um, the nerdy dude that got cool and then forgot he was the nerdy at one point. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just like, yeah, like we're just going to forget about what the past, we're just going to focus on, yeah. you know, Drake and Benson, and all these other cool people that <laughs> right. play video games. Right. Awesome. So, you know, I, I like to kind of end each show with my three questions. Okay. Fire so, away. So what's your favorite game to watch? Ooh, favorite game to watch. Uh, my favorite game to watch would probably be... I want to say Overwatch, but that's my favorite um, game to play. But I, I like watching the highlights from Overwatch. I like to actually sit there and watch... Uh, an ongoing game definitely isn't my cup of tea yet. So, mm -hmm. so you just want the highlight reel? Yeah, I definitely want the highlight reel. So I'll probably probably be Mortal Kombat 11. Okay, so watch. my so attention you, span is so so low that you know I can get through a fighting game. <laughs> right, two minutes done. Yeah, done. <laughs> so you know, my next question. I think you already spoiled it. Is you know, what's your favorite game to play? Overwatch is Overwatch is my favorite game to play. Though I gotta say that that Warzone or Call of Duty has been pretty good lately. Though. Yeah, you've been enjoying that. It seems yeah, like a lot of people are on I've that. Been enjoying that. 
I've been playing Plunder on that. Um, and I picked up a, a old game. I picked up For Honor and playing that uh, these past two days on quarantine. Did that whole 43 uh, gigabyte update and, <laughs> and jumped into that. Right, might as well revisit might some old well. goodies. <laughs> So, you know, so who's your favorite video game character? You know, Mario, Luigi, Pikachu? Oh, my favorite video game character would be Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Just because that was, Genesis was the first system that I purchased with my own money. So mm-hmm. uh, I definitely have a true connection to Sonic for being my first self-purchased video game. Sega was a good one. I definitely missed some Sega Genesis. Yes. Awesome. Well, you know, you know, thanks so much for joining us, Derek. This was very insightful. You know, thanks everybody again for tuning in. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q, and follow Derek at High Point Gamer. Check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.